Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Conrad, and this show is where we hear the real stories from real people changing the world. From everyday people to the top celebrities, all the conversations are real, raw, and always unscripted. Thank you for joining me today. Now let's get to today's guest. All right, everybody, welcome to the still unnamed unsponsored studios here in Columbus, Ohio for Unscripted and the podcast. I am, uh, I'm going to stumble over my words because this, this is a moment for me and anybody that knows me knows that um, I sort of like a team from North Carolina and have for several years uh, since my senior year in high school and uh, coach and I were just joking around a little bit, but um, you know, it, it, my fandom started uh, early, late eighties, um, unfortunately, right after he stopped playing, but let me, let me introduce you. And as you know, I, I, I'm not scripted, uh, but let me go ahead and read just a small introduction here to my guest. And then I will let him really talk about himself. Um, joining me today is, uh, Matt Doherty, uh, played and coached at basketball at university of North Carolina. He started on the 1982 national championship team with NBA greats, a guy you may have heard of named Michael Jordan. Not yeah, sure. He's okay. <laughs> he's okay. Uh, and James Worthy, also, you know, pretty good. Okay. Um, the program was led by legendary coach and someone I have the ultimate respect for, and that is Dean Smith. Um, coach went on to uh, coach basketball at Notre Dame uh, before taking over at the University of North Carolina. There program. you go. <laughs> he led the Tar Heels and uh, to the 2001 regular season ACC championship while being named AP National Coach of the Year. Uh, in 2005, his players won a national championship. I'm going to put that. We'll, we may come up with that later, but but let's just leave it at that. Yeah. In 2005, his players won a national championship. Uh, and Matt is now a consultant while broadcasting games for the ACC Network. Uh, since his team, uh, since his time at UNC, Coach Doherty has worked as the head coach at FAU, SMU, in addition to working at ESPN, the Indiana Pacers, and the Atlantic 10 Conference. He is married to his wife, Kelly, and has two children, Tucker, and is it Haiti? Am I sorry? Hattie. 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 Thank you. Uh, Hattie. I want to make sure I get it right. And they reside in Mooresville, North Carolina. Would you all welcome and help me welcome, and I don't know if you're driving in your car, but if you're listening to this, help me welcome my guest, Coach Matt Doherty. What an absolute honor. Uh, thank you for being on Unscripted. Coach. Oh, man, my my pleasure, Aaron. Um, no, thank you very much. Uh, the thing that I, I usually joke about is as uh, you were reading my bio, if people are truly paying attention, uh, they're wondering, okay, the head coach at North Carolina, national coach of the year in 2001, and in 2005, North Carolina won a championship with his players. And then all of a sudden you go on to coaching at FAU, SMU. It sounds like it couldn't keep a job after that, uh, which is somewhat accurate. Uh, but I, I think that uh, the whole reason we're here together today, Aaron, is that uh, to talk about that gap, um, that, that, that two-year gap, um, post 2003, because I was the head coach at North Carolina and national coach of the year, 2001, uh, we ranked number one in the country, number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the next year we're eight and 20 worst record in Carolina history. Uh, I, I knew that was, we weren't going to be great. 
and then I knew the next year was going to be rebuilding. And, um, and then I, I, I was asked to resign. Um, and, you know, you could point my fingers at a lot of places, uh, but Roy Williams, the head coach at North Carolina, who I worked for for seven years at Kansas, would say, if you're pointing a finger at someone else, there are three pointing at you. Right. So to me, no matter who's to blame, at the end of the day, I was to blame. Uh, because the head coach, right? Well, you're in charge of one. I tell kids all the time: you make decisions, and you have to deal with the consequences. Yep. I made a decision to leave Notre Dame to become the head coach at North Carolina, and things didn't work out as planned. So I have to deal with the consequences. And as any coach or player, after a loss, what do you do? You watch the film, and you try to get better. Right. So I watched basically a three-year film of my coaching experience and try to get better. I went on a leadership journey that took me to an executive coach, Carol Weber, at the Darden at UVA. I took classes with her and her husband. I worked with uh, Fran Johnston, who's an uh, executive coach at Penn. She uh, uh taught a class there. Uh, I learned about emotional intelligence. Um, I worked with Mike Usim there. I, I worked with Jerry Bell in Chapel Hill, did a 360 degree survey. So I really went on this journey that the book is titled Rebound and yep. basically rebounding from setbacks and then pain the passion. And, and my pain was losing my job, Aaron. And, but through that leadership became my passion yeah. because the more I studied it, the more I was excited to learn. Mm -hmm. And what really hit me was in, in athletics, in business, leadership is not really formally taught. Mm, nope. There are exceptions. Right. Uh, Jack Welch did a good job at GE. Yep. He had his own little university there. But for the most part, it's not taught in college athletics. Right. Uh, and in business, it may be taught by okay, we're going to bring in a speaker in, we're going to have a seminar for two days, check the box, right. boom, you are now a leader. Leadership is a practice. Yep. I feel like I'm quoting Allen Iverson. Uh, <laughs> right. You've got to practice. And, and I, I have um, what I have on my wall, I'll show you here, is my banner, the Darty coaching practice and and it's dcp and learn and grow yep. because um you have to practice these things you can't it's it's like golf you know if you just go out and play golf and say okay i'm gonna go out once a year and expect to shoot in the 70s that's not happening right um you need to practice and yep. so leadership is a skill now, the good thing about that is you can improve skills, right? Right, uh, right. So, so it's my job as a leadership coach, executive coach. I have a Vistage practice, Vistage leadership. Uh, it's the executive leadership, the oldest and largest um, executive coaching uh, organization in the world. We practice. Yeah. You know, I want to run people through simulations like I run my teams through simulations in practice to be prepared for these stressful moments because those are the moments that'll make or break you right 
Right. I, I agree with you 100% where, where I work and spend my days working. Um, we have a saying that, you know, corporate teams are the only teams that don't practice. Right. But every day is game day. And, right. and, and you're absolutely right, coach. I, like you, corporate teams need time. They need time to just tonight. Carolina is going to play Syracuse. They're going to face a zone. Right. It's different, right? Uh, corporate, corporate America has faced something they've never seen before this year in a pandemic. Right. And many weren't prepared because they don't practice. Now you can't practice for a pandemic. I get that. Right. But, but you understand my point. I think every day we are, we are faced with challenges in leadership that we weren't prepared for because we don't practice. Yeah. To your point, you know, teams practice for a variety of things. Ohio State last night practiced for something. Alabama practiced for Ohio State, you know, and, and we can say who, who got the better of that. But at the end of the day, they schemed, they practiced, they prepared. And corporate America does not do that. We just go to work every day. We show up, we do our thing, we go home. And I, I absolutely agree with you. That is a fantastic place for you to, I think found, it sounds like you've really found your niche and you're, you're helping other companies. Well, that's my goal. It's been, it's been tough, uh, Aaron, for 17 years. Um, I, I felt like I was falling off the Empire State Building when I, I left imagine. Capitol Hill and, you know, who was there to catch me because right. the Carolina family was my, my safety net. Yeah. And now I'm getting, you know, somewhat, I felt kicked out of the family or, you know, booted to the side and um, I was free falling not only from my safety net, but also from a career. Yeah. And, and so I, I coached again. I, I really wanted to coach again. I thought about not coaching and just doing some TV and, and, and business, but I wanted to put these skills to work to the yeah. test. Yeah. And so I took a job at FAU uh, and it was a low level job, but a real fulfilling job. And, and then I went to SMU, was there for six years, was never able to really turn the corner um, and, and got let go. So now you're like, okay, what do I do at 50? Yeah. You know, do I just hang on? And I didn't want to just hang on. So I, I went to the NBA, worked um, for the Pacers and then got into uh, college athletics again in, in an administrative role with the Atlantic 10. But I wanted to control my destiny and I wanted to coach in some way, shape or form. And right. the executive coaching is fulfilling work because as Coach Smith had on me mm -hmm. and hopefully I had on some of my players, I want to have on some businesses yeah. and businessmen because at the end of the day, John Maxwell would say, and I went through his program, you know, the, 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 your company, your organization will only go as far as the leadership, the level of the leadership. 100%. I was on a, on a podcast last week with um, Roman Harper, who played at Alabama yeah. for uh, Don Shula was recruited, not Don Shula, uh, Dave Shula was recruited by Mike Price, and he never got to play for Saban. And I said to Roman, Roman had a heck of a career, two, went to two Super Bowls, won one, all pro safety, played for New Orleans, played for the uh, Panthers. And I said, okay, what's the difference between Alabama now and Alabama before? Right. So same resources, same campus, same fan base, same boosters. Yep. 
It's a guy wearing headsets. Right. Different guy. Right. Different leader. And he took them to, uh, you know, unprecedented heights in modern day football. Right. That one person. Yeah. I, I would agree. But it's interesting, Coach, because um, and I so we have an underwritten rule on unscripted. And if I ever ask you a question and, and you can't or aren't comfortable or don't want to answer it, you just say pass. And it's fine. My audience understands. I understand. We're good. We'll move on. Um, I, I'm going to tread very lightly because I live in Buckeye territory right now. Yeah. And I will say that I've had conversations with um, players that saw two head coaches that have won a championship at Ohio state within the last 20 years. I think, I don't know my Buckeye history as well as I know my Carolina history, but let's just say two coaches, one was kind of pushed out and we could have a whole podcast on why um, and whether or not I agree with it. And I, I don't, but that's fine. Um, and then another one that came in very high name, very, whatever, two completely different cultures to your point, two completely different cultures. One, um, that that is i just have the ultimate respect for the other one i don't know a lot about but two completely different cultures and a player that would that that bridged coach a and coach b and can tell you they were complete two completely different cultures and yet they had the same result to your point same facilities same buildings same uniforms same 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 However, the guy with the headset on led completely differently and we can argue which one was better or worse but they both got the same thing and that's a banner hanging up in the, in, you know, in their facility now. So, and I think I, I I'm tracking with you in that, um, you know, I, I think there's different ways to achieve our goals, but it depends on your bent. It depends on your team. And in sports, it's a little different because you have this fan base. I think in business, we don't have necessarily a fan base. We have a customer base. It's a little different. W would you agree or, or what would you no, think? I think I, well, you're touching a lot of great topics and, and talking about a lot of great things. Yeah. Uh, I think a couple things. One, uh, yeah, you can win. Um, but do you, uh, is it built for the long term? Right. Um, and, and you can win but is there collateral damage right um to what are you sacrificing to get there you know are you right. sacrificing um ethics are you sac right. sacrificing morals or are you trying to you know uh do things the right way and there'll always be things that happen especially when you have 85 football players and um you know on a college media but right. do, do you you know, yeah, you can hang banners, but are you going to hang another one? Are you going to hang another one? Are you going to hang another one and try to keep uh, your players, your program out of the media uh, for anything negative? Right. That's that's key. It's not just the the winning. It's not just the end result. There's got to be more to it. Um, and then um, I think the the difference. Um, between sports and business is, yeah, you have uh, a fan base uh, on a public company, you have right. a board, a board, you right. know, um, non-public, you don't. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's not in the news every day. You can probably take a little bit of a day off in the business world and people might not notice. 
But yeah. on the basketball court, on the football field, you cannot, nope. Nope. even in practice, because all practices are filmed now. And, and you know, the position coach, the head coach is going to watch that film and see you dog a sprint, see you run a sloppy route, and you're going to get called out for it. Where yeah. if you don't make, you know, your salesman and you only make uh, 25 calls a day and, and not 30, or if you leave a little early for lunch, that's not going to be on film. Especially right. now when people are working remotely, mm -hmm. that's really where the discipline needs to kick in. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it's it's the difference between touching the end line with my foot or touching it with my hand and not and coming up short, right? That that's I, I, I talk about that, Aaron, and that might be a title of my next book, Touch the Line. Yep. Gotta touch difference. the line, man. Yeah. You gotta touch that's the line. Difference. Like that's why I love when I hear Kobe Bryant talk and Michael Jordan, they're kind of the same ilk. Mm -hmm. They touch the line when they run sprints. Yep. It drives me crazy when I go to a practice and I see a guy running sprints and he, he stops this short of the line right. and the coach allows him to. Right. Like, right. whoa, whoa. Like, so what's <laughs> acceptable? Right. Right. Because if I accept that, then I'm going to accept something else. And if I don't, if I don't hold that player accountable for the fact that he didn't touch the line or that employee accountable for the fact that they didn't hit or didn't do, or didn't whatever it might be that their role is, then everyone else around them sees that. And now nobody's touching the line. I, yep. I love it. I, I, that's, that's really good stuff. And I want to get to your book. I do want to point out that in your bio, that is your bio that I actually reread, but the 2005 commentary was my own. <laughs> okay. Asterisk, yep. just in case anybody listened to this, I don't want them to think that, that you had it in your bio. I, I put that in your bio because that's always been my belief. Now, I do believe that we, 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 we are very beholden to, I didn't get to play for. Apparently they don't want to intramural championships at Carolina. I don't know why, but, um, or guys with a 13 on their ACT. But um, I, I believe and love Carolina so deeply. And um, my belief has always been when it comes to you and any history that uh, two things, one, 2005 were your players. You recruited those players, you groomed those players, they were your players. They went out and executed, but at the end of the day, they were your players. That's Again, this is my own commentary, anybody listening. Uh, the second thing is, my belief is, and, and we can argue, and, and you know, Bill Guthridge obviously took over for Coach Dean in a very quick transition, but you never want to be, and, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, you'd never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. You want to be the guy that replaced the guy that replaced the guy, <laughs> because the yeah. guy that replaced the guy has so... In a, in a case like a Dean Smith, wow. I mean, how do you replace Coach Dean Smith, a legend, right? It's, it's, and so I, I believe, this is, again, my own commentary. I believe you were in a very tough position. Coach Gutfried is, is beloved. He was the next seat over. You know, he took over. He did a wonderful job. But at the end of the day, I believe you're the guy that replaced the guy. And that's a yeah, very tough Yeah, you know, probably, probably was because, um, you know, really – almost Bill Guthrie, Dean Smith were one and the same, you know, they right. were attached to the hip for 30 right. years. Uh, incredible. Uh, they could finish each other's sentences and uh, they were, they were hand to glove. So uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, but I couldn't turn it down. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I would have, you know, hindsight 2020, I could have stayed at Notre Dame and maybe still be coaching there. You yeah. Know, that's what Bray is. Uh, but I probably still wonder, you know, um, 
Why, what, why did I turn that down? Right. I didn't want to be afraid of it. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to look back and, and, you know, now I look back and say, well, maybe I should have stayed at Notre Dame. Um, but you know, that's where your faith, it, it's a test of your faith. And I have to lean on the higher power, which for me is God. And, uh, it, it's, it's not easy. Like there's a lot, I, call, I talk a lot in my book. Um, again, the book is, is entitled rebound from pain to passion. You can get it on Amazon, awesome. uh, pre-order it right now or buy the ebook version. Um, and I will do an audio version. Uh, but, um, you know, it, 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 it is a very, um, you know, it's, it's very challenging. It's just a, a challenging thing to take over. Um, the triggers that you experience, like tonight, Carolina, you mentioned playing Syracuse, right? I'll watch the game. Sure. But I'll be thinking, you know, like I'll see Sean May on the bench and I recruited Sean and I'll see, you know, something else will trigger me. And I'll think, you know, uh, boy, you know, I wish I was still coaching there. There's a lot of triggers. And in my book, I put in a, a segment, you know, I think we, we in your, I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of reading the Bible. And, um, you know, Jesus taught in parables, you know, stories through stories. And I think that creates stickiness. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote about the, bri the bridge over the bitter river and that it's a hefty toll and there's no guardrails no. and it's easy to drive off into the river. And like I'm talking about, there's triggers that I'm trying to drive over this bridge, right over this bitter river. And as I'm driving and I recall, like, let's, let's say a coach gets fired and he's get paid $15 million not to coach. Right. Like I didn't get that. Right. <laughs> I might, I might drive off into the river right. um, or, you know, someone makes a comment that, uh, yeah, Matt Doherty has the worst record in Carolina history. You know, I could drive off into the river. So you really have to um, lean on that higher power. And again, for me, it's God. And like, when you hear that, you say, well, they don't really know. They don't know they're fans and that's okay. I mean, that's, Fans pay the bills. Sure. And so um, you got to take the high road. Uh, Kevin White, the AD at Duke, was my AD when I left Notre Dame. And as soon as I got forced to resign at North Carolina, he called me. Here's a guy I left yeah. for North Carolina. He calls me. He says, uh, take the high road. There's less traffic up there. Yep. And I've tried to do that ever since. And this book, Rebound from Pain to Passion, is a high road version. I do share my struggles, but I'm not going out there and saying, you know, hey, I got screwed and this person and that person. Right. No, no. I want to take full accountability and and show people, kind of help people, alert people to where the possible landmines are so they don't step on them like I did. Right.
I can't wait to read the book. I really can't. And I want to, I want to make sure we, we do cover. You've mentioned it a few times. I will have it in this blog post. I will have a link so you can go out and pre-order. Uh, I can't wait to get my hands on it personally. It's such an honor to have a, a preview literally with the guy that wrote the book. Uh, this is honestly such a tremendous honor for me. You can ask my family. My, my daughters are like, Dad, come on. And I'm like, no, seriously, you don't understand. Okay. So um, I, I'm, I'm tremendously honored. The other thing, a couple of things I thought of as you were talking. One, I don't know all Tar Heel fans, um, but I do know that the, and I think you find this even in business, you know, because now we live in a world of Google, Google reviews and Twitter, and I can fire off a tweet behind a keyboard or, or a review behind a keyboard with a fake name and trash a business. And that, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an empath. So when I, when I see someone review any company I might work for or anything that I'm attached to, it bothers me. I feel it. And it, it's, um, I ha I've had to learn to separate that myself. Um, and, but I, what I will say is the minority is always louder. Yeah. There's a majority of people that loved you as a player, love you as a coach, love you as a part of the Carolina family. And I guarantee believe you are always a member of the Carolina family. Yeah. I, I can't speak for all those people, but I guarantee there, there's a vast majority when the minority are the ones that are going to fire off a tweet, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and listen, most Tar Heel fans have been great to me. Absolutely, right. It's 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 sometimes the non-Tar Heel fan that might take a shot, of you know, about hey, you have the worst record in Carolina history, and um, you know, you, you have to put everything in perspective, right? And then you have to. I mean, Jesus was on the cross and he's praying to God saying, you know, Father, you know, uh, forgive them for they don't right. know what they're doing. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm saying, I'm saying, okay. I can handle getting, fan base. He's getting hung to a cross, nailed to a cross, and he's trying to forgive those people. Right. I can forgive somebody who makes a stupid comment on Twitter about me. <laughs> Right. Who has a name that's not even like it's some some burner account, right? Wow. And so let me ask you that, Coach. I, I imagine you, you've mentioned faith now. Where does grace come in? Because I imagine you've had to extend a ton of grace. You talked about bitterness, but I think along with bitterness comes grace because we don't get over bitterness until we extend grace, and grace is hard. Um, where, where are you on grace? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um, grace and forgiveness kind of are neck and neck. Yes. In, in my my book, uh, and I talk, uh, I think I have a chapter or at least a segment on forgiveness because ultimately that's what it got that to that point where I could forgive the people that I think may have slight me, may right. have wronged me. But Aaron, more importantly, I had to forgive myself. Mm. Right. Because I think that um, sometimes we're so hard on ourselves and mm -hmm. we, we, we expect ourselves to be perfect. And you can easily beat yourself up over, why did I do that? Right. Why did I make that decision? Why did I handle that situation a certain way? Why didn't I seek more advice? And so, yeah, I had to forgive and I had to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. And I think once I got to that point, it was, uh, you know, 600 of the 800 pounds came off my shoulders. There's still a couple of hundred pounds up there, sure. but, but it definitely um, was, was, and you know, grace, you talk about it. Like you, 
grace is so important because you don't only use grace when you lose. Right. But there needs to be grace when you win. And right. I talk about that in the book too. Can't wait. Like Coach K, my second year when we didn't have a good team, he uh, was playing, Duke was playing Carolina in, in the Smith Center. And I could tell with about 10 minutes ago, we're, we're down 20, 25 points. And he starts holding the ball. And I said to my staff, I said, he's holding the ball. Yeah. And after the game, I went up to him. I said, coach, thank you for holding the ball. I mean, they could have beat us by 40. Oh, and I got you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he's holding the ball, so he's not running up the score. Oh, see, I thought it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Got you. Yeah. So, so, you know, he could have embarrassed me. That's great. Yeah. And, and he, his response was, uh, I've been there. Mm. how about that how about that right yeah so here's a man who you know his first year three years he almost got run out of town yep at Duke. yep and he he lost a famous acc championship tournament game i think 100 to 66 to virginia and so he knows mm -hmm. doesn't feel real good right you know right. and uh that grace that he showed me in victory was impressive to the most bitter of rivals, right? I mean, right. if there's anybody that you could drive in the ground and pound and walk out of there, you know, with your fan base happy, Coach K could have done that. I, I thought you were going a different direction. I thought he was holding it so you guys couldn't score. And, it, you know, I thought like almost like oh, no. running out the clock. Um, no. no, that 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 is class. Um, yeah. and I'm not a huge K fan, obviously, <laughs> for, for reasons understood. But no, no, I, that, I, that is class. I, that is class. I, I think the key is to be respectful. Sure. Respectful. You know, uh, you know, there's uh, the, the you don't have to be a fan, but I think there's a respect and sure uh, that, that permeates through Duke basketball to me. I mean, Jay Billis is on the front cover. He wrote an endorsement. Yes, for me, Kevin White, the AD at Duke, he wrote an endorsement for me. Yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm close to Tommy Amaker. Mike Bray's been good to me. Uh, to Mike Jaminski. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the competition, you, you hate each other on the court, but a lot of guys chose Duke over Carolina and Carolina over Duke. Right. Same I mean, Hill, uh, Ferry, Danny Ferry, Matt Doherty, uh, uh, you know, there's, you can go down the line. Uh, there are a lot of guys recruited by both schools. Yep. And I think it still extends to this day, you know, even Zion, uh, Brandon Ingram, I, you could get on the list, all the guys that were on both lists and, you know, chose one over the other. And I think they're, they're, you know, they, they all play together in the same circuits. Now it's all different, but I do respect that from coach K that that's a, that's a fantastic, um, you know, image of, of grace from him. And it's, uh, it's, so I, I, I was interested in your thoughts on grace because that uh, I can't imagine like, I mean, I, I didn't ever coach at North Carolina, surprisingly. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> I coached sixth grade basketball. But, um, you know, I you get that tweet or you get that guy that fires off something and you're, you know, you want to fire back and nobody ever wins a Twitter war. And this, you, you know, you were coaching in an age when Twitter didn't even exist. And, you know, you get letters, I'm sure, or, or bulletin boards or whatever, whatever the forum was 
you know, again, it's just some guy in his basement that just has some ax to grind that, that fires it off. But I, as an empath, I would want to fire back. I would want to respond because I, I, I want to protect my university, my team, my, my, whatever it is. So I give you a ton of credit for the fact that over the years, it sounds like you've just been able to really hold that at bay. And that that's not easy. And I imagine you call well, Listen, I, I've, I've made, you know, Aaron, you're saying nice things, but a lot of times that's what got me in trouble. And, and you're, you know, Urban Meyer coach at Ohio State. He worked with a guy um, um, named Tim Kite, who's yep. in- 100%. Who, Columbus. Yeah, in Columbus, mm-hmm. and I follow Tim on Twitter, yep. uh, and and I learn a lot from him and listen yep. to his podcast. And he talks about a formula called E plus R equals O. Hundred percent. Yep. Where E is the event, mm-hmm. R is your reaction, and O is the outcome. And the better your reaction to event means that leads to a better outcome. Yep. So as you just touched on someone says something to you in person or on Twitter, and if you immediately react in a negative way, it's gonna to lead to a negative outcome. Right, right. So you've got to slow down. I think that's something that I've had to learn to do is slow down, tap the brakes, digest it, think of a reaction that'll be uh, a professional reaction. Like even on Twitter, people will say things, um, and, and, you know, I'll try to, I want to respond to everyone and try to disarm them Yeah. because to me, my core values are four things, respect, trust, commitment, positivity, uh, RTCP. And so I want to do it in a respectful manner and I want to do it in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you can disarm somebody and especially before the election, you know, right. with all that was going on. And if you throw something out there and people start crushing you, right. I, I try to say, hey, you know, I respect your opinion. Why do you feel that way? Or I've even, I even followed those people and say, DM me, let's talk about it. Yep. Yep. Because I think for our world to be a better place, the two sides need to come together and work as one. And the only way to do that is through respectful communication. Yep. One of my favorite quotes is actually from a song in the eighties. And it says, we all talk a different language talking in defense. And we talk a different language when we talk in defense. Yes. Yeah. Like Mike and the mechanics, we all talk a different language talking in defense. And it's a song called the living years has really nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that, that, that lyric always, uh, really, really resonated with me because I believe that's where we're at. We're all talking in defense. We're not listening to one another. We're not hearing each other. I can listen to a song, but do I hear the song? Do I listen to the, do I actually hear the lyric? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a difference between driving along, listen to a song, or do you actually hear that song? Um, do I listen to my friends or do I actually hear them? Do I hear their pain? Do I hear their frustration? Do I hear their, um, you know, need, whatever it might be, do I do that? And that's, there's a huge defense, the difference. And I think when we're talking in defense, none of us hear each other. And that's, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether it's Duke and Carolina or, you know, politics, you name, you know, religion, 
there's a million things right now that are going on in our country that none of us are listening to each other. We're talking in defense. Um, so thank you, Mike and the mechanics for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it, love it. Now, oh. I will say, I will say somebody doesn't want to come, doesn't want to at you on Twitter about J.R. Reed, apparently, because. <laughs> I love J.R. I, I just, love J.R. I, I just, I just, when you say, you know, it'll be a great, the greatest honor to have you on my podcast. Yes. And you <laughs> copy me on that. And I'm like, whoa, dude. That wasn't well thought out on my part. You know, it's like taking a girl to the prom and say, wow, I really wish I could have taken you to the prom and say it in front of that girl. That's not cool, man. Come on, A.A. Ron. <laughs> well, and I don't know if anyone listening has saw the exchange. The backstories, I, I grew up watching. I started watching Carolina basketball with Dean Smith on the sideline and a guy named J.R. Reed as a freshman. I want to go out in my driveway. I would try his moves by myself. I started playing basketball as a senior. I was horrible. I got cut from the team. Uh, I was a very late bloomer. And J.R. Reed was Here's there. the deal. If, if you would have started watching Carolina earlier and fallen in love with my game. There it is. You might have made the varsity. I might have been in North Carolina. I might have been on. Hey, hey, let's not get crazy. <laughs> let's not get crazy, Aaron. Oh, slow down, bro. <laughs> okay. Well, I like to dream. I like to dream. But no, I, I agree. I honestly, I wish I would have started earlier. Uh, all kidding aside, because I didn't see the, the the I didn't see the years of you and James Worthy and Sam Perkins and Matt Doherty and Brad Doherty. And, and that, that I didn't see those years. I didn't see it. I, I missed what were you it. doing in Columbus. Do you, do you have TV or what? what? I was in Cleveland, actually. I lived, I grew up in Cleveland. I didn't have cable. Um, and again, when my, I started, I fell in love with basketball. My mom said, well, then watch it on TV. That was my coaching. My coach turned out to be this little guy on the sideline named Dean Smith. Cause I watched it on CBS. And the player that I watched was J.R. Reed. It was after I missed the shot by Michael Jordan. Now, I did see the shot in Cleveland of Michael Jordan. And we won't talk about that one because that was devastating because I'm a Cavs fan. Right. So anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, that's that's way. And people that have listened to this podcast know the history. But um, all kidding aside, it, it is just such a huge, huge honor for me to have anyone in the Carolina family and someone, especially that I respect as much as you, it's just a, it's a huge, yeah. huge honor for me. Nice comeback. Nice. Comeback. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, no, It's truth. It's honest truth. Um, no one's been more excited. You can ask, I'll go get my girls. I'll bring them down and they can, they can explain how excited I was. No, no problem. No problem. I trust you. I trust you. All right. Before we go into a few rapid fire questions, uh, let's talk about the book because we've covered it a lot, but let's just talk specifically about the book. What's the book all about? How do I get it? Why would I get it? Who's it for? All that kind of stuff. Let's talk yeah, about the book. I think um, it's it's called from uh, Rebound from Pain to Passion, Leadership Lessons Learned. You can get it on Amazon. Um, you could pre-order it. It comes out uh, the first week of March, or you can get the e-version um, this week. Um, and then I'll do an audio book and I'll, I'll do it in my voice, which, um, uh, uh, I've got to get on that here in the next few weeks. Um, it basically, uh, covers touches on growing up on long Island. My, my love affair with basketball, the people that impacted me, why I was the way I was, uh, and then, 
uh, up through my time as a player at North Carolina and then as a coach at Notre Dame and then North Carolina. And uh, the lessons I learned, uh, my leadership journey talks a lot about that. And at the end, it puts, I try to put the leadership lessons in an organized fashion. So if you were to have that book on your shelf and you were taking over a new position as a leader, that you could pull it off your shelf and say, I need to talk about managing up. I need to talk about hiring. I need to talk about listening. I need to talk about um, whatever it may be, core values. Um, so, um, and it's to me, um, everybody in their lifetime will probably be in a leadership role. Right. At some point, at some level, 100%. I mean, you may not be at work, but you're going to be at home if you're a dad. Right. right. Um, you may not be at work, but maybe you are in your on your block. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you may not be at work, but you may be at church. Um, you know, you may not be at work, but you may be coaching your kids youth basketball team. Yep. So uh, and the exciting thing is um, to me, Aaron, is when I lost my job and I went on my leadership journey, I met with Carol Weber um, and met with Fran Johnson and took a class, was learning about emotional intelligence in 2003. And in the book, it said, leadership is a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was of the school that you were born a leader. You either a leader or you're not. And so when I got let go at North Carolina, I was depressed. I was down. I was thinking, well, maybe I'm not a good leader. Mm -hmm. And then when I read that, that excited me that anybody can become a better leader. Right. Yep. I was just going to ask you in the rapid fire, if leaders are born or if they are created. And I think you just answered it. And I agree with you. I, I Maybe you're born with, because I think there's people that are extroverts and there's people that are introverts and you can lead quietly, like a quiet strength, like our friend, Tony Dungy, like he's my friend, but uh, he may be your friend. <laughs> I don't know, but, but a quiet strength or like my son is a quiet strength leader. He's very quiet. He doesn't say two words, but his, his, calm cool collected demeanor has been incredible in basketball he's a pitcher which it's the perfect personality as a pitcher is even when the bases are loaded and he's got the four hitter up right. he's still you wouldn't know he's cool as a cucumber you know what i mean so he was born for that so there there is a born leadership but i do believe leadership is a constant you can't just you weren't born into it and you're just a great leader you have to constantly study it sounds like you've taken a journey yeah through heartache, through wins, through losses, it doesn't matter. You've taken a journey where you've constantly evolved and you've mentioned several people that have helped you along that journey, whether directly or indirectly, you're constantly learning. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think you're born with um, some leadership um, skills, some yeah. leadership qualities, but there are certainly good leaders that aren't extroverts. There are certainly good leaders that aren't, uh, you know, uh, commanding of a room. Um, it, they come in all different shapes and sizes. And I think that um, we look at some people that, oh, he's, he's the leader. But if you don't have, I talk about the six 
nose of leadership, and I use the acronym STEVIT, which I invented the word. Um, <laughs> Love it. Uh, S-T-E-V-I-T. You got to know yourself. You got to know your team. You got to know your environment. You got to know your vision. You got to know your industry and you got to mine for the truth. Mm. And I think those six things are critical. So somebody could look like a good leader, but not be a great leader. And then there's other person, maybe a Tony Dungy, uh, maybe a Tony Bennett, UVA. 100%. Reserved, kind of quiet, um, you know, not going to be the life of the party, right. not going to be up in front of everybody, not going to command the spotlight, but boy, oh boy, are they effective. Sure. And there's a guy, Coach, that, right, I mean, perfect example of a guy that, that went through absolute heartbreak. Right. I mean, and yet kept his team on track and came back the next year and won the whole freaking thing. Good for like, right. He earned it. And he kept that team together. I've seen some things on TV with him. He is a phenomenal individual leader, quiet, graceful, uh, you name it. I'm a massive Tony, you know, Tony benefit. He is really, really special. He really is. And to, to take, it takes a guy like him. Yep. God, God, God placed him in that team for a reason. And it's the most heartbreaking loss to the biggest stage and the biggest win. What a, what a great story he is as well. Um, just amazing. So yeah. I can't wait to read your book. I really can't. I'm probably going to go download it today. If I, so I can get it today on Amazon. You'll right? be able to get it today. Uh, it, it, this week, I should, I said this week. So I know you can get it on Kindle okay. this week. I'm not sure if today or not, but uh, go to Amazon, Rebound from Pain to Passion. Pain to Passion. And then before we move on to rapid fire, because I, I have a few more minutes with you, I want to make sure I get through it. Um, what else? You're, I, I'm, are you available for speaking engagements, church? I, I know I have some pastors that listen. I, I, would, I think they would be, you would be amazing. Are you available for those opportunities as well? And how yeah. do they get in touch with yes. you? Yes, just go to the rebound-book.com website. Okay or coachmattdoherty.com website. Yes. Two best links. And all those, anybody listening will be in this post as well. So they can just click and find you. But um, anything else you want to share before we go through some rapid fire? No, just learn and grow, man. Just try to get better each day. Yeah. And you're a great follow on Twitter. Just don't bring up J.R. Reed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you can bring J.R. Reed up. I love J.R. Reed. I love J.R. Reed. I mean, but just don't say like it'll be your highest honor to have him on your podcast after getting me on the podcast and and putting us both, you know, on the same Twitter exchange like that. You know, you got to be smarter than that, A.A. Ron. That's right. I really do. It was Grace, Coach Grace. Grace. Yeah, right. I really, I'll give I you it. Grace tomorrow. Right now, I want to. You, you go from grill to Grace. All right. Don't push the. You can't push the process. I got to grill you a little bit. Well, I, I loved it. I love the interaction. I love J.R. Reed, but I, I, I absolutely love that you're on this podcast. It's such a huge honor for me. And I, I hope you really know that. I, I really, I'm an empath, man. I felt that. I felt all of it and I feel it. I just can't wait to watch when you finally get J.R. on and I watch that podcast and how giddy you get talking oh. to him. I'm going to, I might drive to Columbus and, and <laughs> have a sit down with you. I know a place you can stay. I'll make you a meal. You're always welcome. And uh, I, I, I had Carrie Job on, and my assistant um, 
constantly reminds me. So I'll tell her, you know, hey, I, I have Coach Matt Doherty coming on, and and she'll say, well, don't be a fanboy like you were with Carrie Joe. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's, I, I get to live up to that one all the time. But anyway, um, all right, rapid fire. Are you ready? Yeah. Favorite UNC memory, player or coach? Ooh, uh, ah, man, it's hard. I, I, two come right to mind, winning the national championship in 82 and then beating Duke at Duke as a coach my first time there. Great answers. Uh, favorite Michael Jordan memory? Uh, beating him in pool at UVA. <laughs> And he was so upset. He looked at me, looked at the pool table, looked at me through the pool cue on the table and said, this table's not even regulation. Classic Michael, right? <laughs> yeah, That's great. Are you in the, uh, I imagine there's some clip, you're probably in the last dance. Is, some, is there some clip in that you made a, you made a scene in the last dance? I make a scene everywhere I go. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yes. I, I, I am in there. If you, if you, if you put it on slow motion, you can kind of catch me. Guarantee it. Uh, favorite Dean Smith memory. Ooh, there's many, man. I bet. There's many. Um, one wasn't like, it was probably one of the funniest um, my sophomore year starting James Worthy, Jimmy Black, Sam Perkins, wow. Michael Jordan. And I take, I was a McDonald's all American. I was, you know, I, I, I was a good player, you know, and, and not a great player, but a good player. And I take a, like a 15, 18 footer in practice. We didn't have the three point line, didn't have a shot clock. And, um, Coach Smith blows the whistle and, and says, eh, he, he always whined. He never cursed, but he'd always whine. And he'd say, ah. Eh. And he'd call you by your first name, full first name. He said, ah, eh, who on Matthew's team thought that was a good shot? Raise your hand. <laughs> and I'm like, I just took an open shot. Like, I don't take a lot of shots. Like, I was, and I'm, I'm standing next to Worthy, and his nickname was Stick. And I'm like, Stick, come on, man, raise your hand. And none of them raised their hands. Yeah, but that was Coach Smith, his way to, you know, manipulate, motivate, um, let you know what he wanted for the team. Why wasn't that a good shot if you were wide open? He'd probably say you're open for a reason. <laughs> I think I've heard Roy say that, too. If you're wide open, there's probably a reason for it. I think I've used that with sixth graders, too. <laughs> so you have to, uh, you know, then as a player, you've got to, if you have that shot again, and you take it, you better make it. Right, right, right. If you if you had it to do over again, is there any other coach you would have played for? No, no, yeah, no, no, not at incredible, all. Incredible, incredible. I, I, again, he he taught me, and I was watching on CBS on Saturdays when you yeah. guys actually after you were playing. So, um, yeah. awesome. Well, I, I I'm sure I can come up with a million other questions. What did 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 you think Michael would be? Did you think Michael would have shoes and a logo on Nike way back yeah. in the day when you were playing with him? No, of course not. Um, I think that would have been so disrespectful, disrespectful to Dr. J and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Yes. To say that Michael was going to be better than them. Yeah. And I remember 
sitting in Coach Smith's office um, to talk with him after my senior year, just kind of about the future plans and playing basketball and picking an agent. And Michael was in there. And so Michael comes out and, um, you know, even today, like back then, the question was, what kind of shoe are you going to wear? Hmm. Because we wore Converse at oh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He liked Adidas. He wore them in practice. And Adidas, a rep, was at it, like every practice. And, and then, uh, you know, Nike was going to make their push. So Michael's, I'm sitting down, Michael's standing up, and he said, uh, I'm going to wear Nike. They're going to make me a shoe. And you know how Michael talks and kind of does this. And they're going to make a shoe and call it the Air Jordan. And he turns around and walks out of the office and I see him walking down the hall and I'm saying to myself, that cocky son of a gun. <laughs> and a year later, I get cut by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Sorry. And, and uh, I'm working in New York City and I'm running down Broadway trying to stay in shape, thinking maybe I'll go play in Europe. And a bus pulls up and on the side of the bus is Michael Jordan doing his Air Jordan. Jumpman logo, right. Right. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? knew? Yeah. Incredible. And uh, maybe someday Mike will come on the podcast. I'm not going to hold a lot of hope for that one. That's probably a big ask too, but uh, this was a huge ask. And at the end of the day, I am so honored uh, that you would come on and spend so much time. I've loved our just very, even in the last few weeks, interaction on Twitter. Um, I can't wait to read the book and uh, I hope others will bring you in because I think your story is a powerful one. Just in the few minutes that we've had, um, I am just so honored and this has been so life-giving for me um, and I wish you nothing but success and I hope we can continue to stay in touch on Twitter. Um, I do, uh, if, if you drop me after today, uh, <laughs> I'll keep reading. Blocked. Well, I like to still read, so don't block me completely because I wouldn't like to read. No, this has been awesome, Coach. I am so honored, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. And uh, again, 2005 were your players. I'll just leave it at that. Put a pin in. Hey, Coach Williams had a coaching. He did. He did. And he did a fantastic job. And I'm a huge fan of Roy. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what my belief has always been, and it will always be. Um, and and uh, I'm just so um, I'm I'm so proud is not the word I think proud is the word which seems weird coming from little old me in Columbus Ohio to a guy that has played with all the things all the places and things that we've talked about but um, you know it is I've been through some of those stumbles I've been through some of that hurt not at a national level not with a spotlight but it's hard to rebound and and there's very few that do some people spiral completely out of control and I can't wait to read the book because I do want to hear how you've really had to dig in, find that in yourself. And it's, not, and you've made a, you know, a career now out of helping others be in, you know, that are in that position now. And, and I, I can't wait to read it coach. I really can't. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate you. God bless. Thank you so much. And let's keep in touch. And All if right. you ever come to Columbus, you got a place to stay. I, I won't appreciate read. It. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. All right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.